0: Amen. Hey, that's right. We're on a new chapter. Once again, an intro to apologetics. That's right. And You guys know the theme. As you turn to page 78, for those of you hooked on, I actually have a workbook and I don't have to use my imagination. Uh, Page 78, as you turn there, once again, the recap, we're dealing with the skeptical questions, apologetics give a defense of the existence of God. Everything has a beginning, which implies a beginner, i.e. God. We saw that. Everything has a design, which implies a Designer, i.e. God. Well, what about evolution or evolution? It does spawn evil because if you don't believe there's not a God, then guess what? You act like it, right? Teach kids that they came from an ape. Why are you shocked when they... Act like an ape. So what about that? And then we took a 42-week detour and dealt with that extensively. Well, hey, wait a second. Uh, how about the argument of the existence of God? Where did this moral law come from? Unless a moral law giver gave it to us, created in his image, i.e. another argument for the existence of God. But then what about the Bible? Is that really the word of God? Did this really come from God? Or was it a book whooped up by man? No, it came from God. But what about this one? Everybody hears this one. If God's so loving, what about evil and suffering? How many guys hear that all the time, right? And people use that to mock Christianity. So we dealt with that extensively. Now we're at number seven. That's right. And here it is. They've attacked the existence of God. They've tried to supplant it with a false teaching called evolution that we don't need a God. They've attacked the word of God. They attacked God's goodness and his character and saying that he doesn't know what he's doing. He's inept because evil and suffering. Now they come and guess who they attack? jesus and so that's the question we're going to deal with in the next couple of days. is jesus not just real but is he specifically really the son of god okay now before we get into that aspect why is that an important thing to know that jesus is not just the messiah but specifically this christianese phrase dare i say that jesus is the son of god why is that important Well, I think it's important when you couple it with the other phrase that Jesus says about himself. He's not just the son of God, as we've seen before in our Discipleship 102 studies dealing with the deity and humanity of Jesus Christ. He's also the son of God man okay and you need both to fully understand who jesus is and the importance of why he's not just the son of man he's the son of god why he's not just the son of god he's the son of man as we saw before by way of recap why this is an important issue that people understand that jesus is not just a good moral teacher and that's what our world says right they delegate him to that and he didn't no 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 as we saw before he's either lord Okay, Or he's a liar or a lunatic. And I'm sorry, he's not a liar and a lunatic. He is Lord God. He's the Son of God. Well, as we saw before, Jesus needed to be fully man because only man can die. Right? And somebody needs to die and take our punishment in our place. Okay? And pay the price on the cross for our sins. But he's also fully God. Why? Because we need somebody outside the scope of man because anybody who comes from the lineage of man is born with Sin. And that means if Jesus uh, was not God, and that's why we hold to the virgin birth, that ties into here. Uh, If he wasn't of a virgin birth, then he would have inherited the sin nature which means he would have sinned which means if he did make it to the cross uh he would not have been the perfect sacrifice okay so he has to be at the same time fully god fully man he's not just the son of man he's the son of god you have to hold on to that that's a core christian truth to understand that okay so now that's a christianese phrase that's a christian truth we understand the importance of it how do we know it's real How do we know that Jesus really is? Because a lot of people say, oh, yeah, he was a great guy. They focus on his humanity. He was a great teacher. They'll give us that one, so to speak. But when you're talking the son of God, that means Jesus is God in the flesh. This is God in the flesh walking around the earth. Whoa. And that's usually what they balk at. So we're going to take a look at that evidence. Chapter 9, let's go. If God came down to earth in the form of a human, what would we expect this person to be like? Well, that's what we're going to see in the next couple of chapters. Uh, did Jesus have the qualities and characteristics we would expect if he really were the Son of God? So let's put it to the test, right? Not just take somebody's word for it. Let's put it to the test. How do we know for sure that Jesus was not just man, but he was, in fact, God? Right? right, let's take a look at that. Number one, if God became a human, we would expect that person to be, what's the phrase there? Without sin. Now, how does the Bible, what term does the Bible use when it's talking about without sin, it rhymes with holiness. Holiness, that's right, Bobby. You get the first piece of gum tonight, you're on the ball. Look at that, and he needs it. He's honest tonight. Dude, just blow it off. You got the five-second rule. We all know that's true, right? All right, but anyway, uh, holiness, right, means without sin. That's what, oh, you know, right? Turn to your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. Now, this is a core attribute of God, right? You cannot understand wrath. You can't understand the punishment of sin. You cannot understand the gravity of hell unless you understand the holiness of God, right? As we're going to see, of all attributes in the scripture that is emphasized in such manner, it is the holiness of God, okay? Revelation chapter 4. If you find the dictionary, what do you do, Tom? Hang a left. That's right. Hanging left as I'm still hanging left. I'm in the tables of weights and measures. i got to take a big lift. Uh, whew, where am I at? Uh, Revelation chapter 4. Let's take a look at uh, starting at uh, verse uh, 8. Okay, let's take a look. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and covered his eyes all around, even under his wings, day and night. They never stopped saying, just, just, just. No, no, no. Love, love, love. Is God just? Yes. Is he just? Yeah. But for some reason, this one, three times. That's for emphasis. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and says, "You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, why? Because you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being right so the scripture says that god is so holy and his holiness is so impacting that all of heaven okay is you know basically to use the phrase sucking carpet before god they are prostrate whole whoa it's intense okay he is holy now the problem is i think in the american church we are way too familiar uh, with this term in other words we've, we've kind of denigrated it right we use it in a dare i say unholy manner Right, for instance, we'll say phrases like "Holy cow!" Right, or all those uh, 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 movies out now with the, the Avengers of "Holy smokes, Batman!" or "Holy macaroni!" or "Holy this!" You know, "Holy, holy!" We use it so flippantly, and I think that's the problem. And what it does, is we don't understand. What in the world just came out of your mouth? Now, as we've seen before in the New Testament, in the New Testament, the word "holy" uh, comes from the Greek word hagias. Okay, and that's where bacon comes from. No, wrong kind of hey, Hey, yeah, yeah, but bacon is very good. Dare I say, and I digress, let's move on. Hagios, okay, and that means holy, but listen, it means something sacred. Listen, this is God. This is his core character. This is the character, unlike any other character mentioned of God, that is repeated three times. In other words, if you've got to get one character right about God, you better get this one. He is holy, which means God is sacred, Listen, he is something that is pure from every fault, something immaculately clean. It speaks about God's absolute perfection. There is no darkness. There is no shadow. There is no sin. God never, ever, ever does anything wrong, nor can he do anything wrong, because he is holy. That's pretty intense. I like one guy. He used this analogy. He said, listen to this, but the, the, here's the standard. He said, imagine a guy who could hit a hole in one on a par five, not par three par five who could hit a hole in one on a par five not just once in his life but every single time he ever tried give it up for ron waxer he's the most amazing golfer in the planet has ever seen right, right? And as good as that is but listen to this but not only that he expected you to do the same that's the holiness of god it's beyond our reach isn't it and see that's the problem That's why God had to send his holy son. That's why Jesus is not just the son of man. He's the son of God. Because only God could be the perfect sacrifice that we needed. Because we have all blown it. There's no way. Right? We will never make a maybe... How could we even do it? One time. Maybe the wind was blowing, a hurricane or something. That you could actually make a hole in one on far five. Right? Or you cheated with the birds, suck it up, barfed it out the right spot. I don't know. Okay? But that's just one time. But every single time... That you ever tried? It's impossible. Okay? So that's the holiness of God. Absolute, without sin, perfection, never ever does anything wrong. So that's the core attribute of God. So let's go back to the test. This is where we're going with this. So if Jesus, therefore, is the Son of God, then Jesus has to be also holy. Especially this one. This is a core character of God. In other words, Jesus has to be, if he's the Son of God, he has to be without sin. So let's examine that. Was Jesus without sin? Well, Jesus' followers claimed he was without sin, right? Now, why is that important to listen to his followers? As we saw before with an accident scene of a crime, you want somebody who was right there. You don't want somebody 2,000 years removed saying, well, here's what I think happened. What? You you know, somebody who's right there at the scene, it kind of carries more weight, obviously, right? Right? So that's what we see. Jesus' followers claimed he was without sin. The apostles lived and traveled with Jesus three years. Not three minutes, three years. How many guys have been a friend with somebody for at least three years? How many guys have been married for at least three years? How many guys can verify, and I'm going to be careful about this because I don't want to start a fight, how many guys can verify that in those three years of being married, your spouse wasn't always holy? Husbands, you raise your hands way too fast. You're going to get in big trouble on the way home. Just thought I'd warn you. Let's close in prayer. No. <laughs> oh, boy. I can't believe you fell for that. Bobby, what were you doing raising your hand? What did you... Anyway, that's right. But uh, anyway, let's move on. Uh, all right, so, so for three years, right? So they walked with them three years. So you would think that if, ha, ah, ha, ha, it's all made up. Jesus, the Son of God, sometime, somewhere within those three years, at least one time, right? Well, let's put it to the test. Okay, if Jesus had any sin, certainly they would know it, right? So let's take a look at what they say about him. Well, Peter, one of the apostles, said this. He, Jesus, committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. He also said, for Christ died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. John, another apostle, claimed this. My dear children, I write this to you that you will not sin, but... If anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he also says this, you know that he appeared, Jesus, so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Paul claimed this, God made him Jesus who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The writer Hebrews, some would say Paul, others would say not, but says this. For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet is what? Without sin. And again, he says, such a high priest meets our needs. I love this. In case you don't get it. One who is what? Jesus is Holy, I don't know what that means It's a Christian. Well, keep reading. He's blameless. He's pure. He is set apart from us sinners, exalted above the heavens. So the people who walked with him for three years, we can... I'm not going to ask you to name it. You're already in trouble, guys. What those sins were and how many happened just today of your spouse. They couldn't do... There was nothing. There could nothing they could pin on, Right? Right. But I like what this guy says, and this is a good logical course. He says, well, wait a second, next page. Of course his friends would say that, right? Because as my secular philosophy teacher in secular college used to say, well, these guys, you know, they just made up the resurrection of Jesus. You know, he died. You know, it was unfortunate. They had this good new religion thing going on. They're going to cash in on it, and he up and died on them, so they just kind of made it up. So, so of course his friends are going to say that, yeah, he was without sin and cover. For All right, well, let's flip it around. What did Jesus' enemies... Is your blank there? What did Jesus' enemies say about him? Right? Because if you think anybody would be gut honest, it'd be them, right? Logically? Absolutely. Right? Jesus' enemies claimed... Is your next blank? He was without sin. Well, that's interesting. Judas Iscariot. Judas was a friend, an apostle, a travel companion of Jesus for three years. Then Judas became an enemy. If Jesus was a sinner, Judas would have known about it and would have told everyone, Right? especially when his dirty deed got known, right? You would think at that point he'd do something like what we want to do. we try to blame it on somebody else. Well, hey, I wouldn't have done this, but look, oh, you think what I did was bad? Selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver? You should have seen what he did. He did this, and I was there for three years. And Logically, wouldn't you think? What do we get from him? He, Judas said this, I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. Here's your blank there. Even Judas admitted Jesus was without sin. The Jewish leaders, the chief priests, and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they did not find any, nothing, uh, though many false witnesses came forward, right? You guys ever see uh, that ever happen? You know, people try to set you up, and God says, "Mm mm-hmm, watch this one. One of my favorite examples in the scriptures of that is with Haman, remember that guy? He tried to (laughs) annihilate the Jewish people. And built all these gallows, and, <laughs> right? And who got hung on his own gallows? Haman, hey, right? Once again, that's the name andy boo boo in Jesus' name. Pilate and King Herod said this. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people. Said to them, "You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion." So that was the charge against him. He said, "I've examined him in your presence and have found what." No basis for your charges against him. And not just him, neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing deserving death. Right? Continue on. The Roman soldier, the centurion, seeing what happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. Is your blank there? A righteous man. Pilate's wife. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't do, have anything to do with that innocent man. Okay? The thief on the cross. But this man has done nothing wrong. Okay? Again, this is his enemies, right? And, 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 and you'd think that they would start throwing out some blame or something or pointing fingers and like, what we gonna do? But they freely admitted, no, no, not this guy. Not Jesus. And that's why Jesus himself said this. So when he stood before his enemies, name it. Can you prove Any of you prove me guilty of sin? Bring it on. Why could he say that? And why did they say nothing in response? Because he doesn't have any sin. Why is that important? Because if Jesus really is not just the son of man, fully man, but if he's fully God, if he's the son of God, then he has to be the same attribute. He has to be. He can't make one mistake. Hey, praise God he didn't. Jesus is holy. He is just like God. He is the son of God. Okay, he is Son of God, God in the flesh. No one could. Jesus' life has always been regarded as the purest in human history. Even the religion of Islam, the Quran, claims that Jesus was without sin. Is your blank there? Now, number two. He not he needs to be holy. Here's the next one. If God came, page 80, if God became a human, we would expect that person to have supernatural power. Okay? Supernatural power. Now, what does it mean when it says supernatural? That means it's not natural okay it's above and beyond okay it's not a bunch of chicanery that you might see people today and people unfortunately get caught up today and schnooker people say i got a word from the lord and there's a lady over here in the seat over here and she has an address well yeah you're cheating because you got caught mr pop off and you had a little microphone in your ear and yeah and can you believe it he's back on tv again It's like waited a whole other generation and started the same schnookery going again. Can you believe that? Guys get caught all the time. People, it's it's not supernatural. But if he's real, if Jesus is the Son of God, then he has to have supernatural power just like God. Now, that's what we saw uh, before in Romans chapter 1. Turn there real quick. Romans chapter 1. And you take a look at the power of God. Okay, And let's compare it to what Jesus uh, was able uh, to accomplish Okay, as we see recorded for us. But Romans chapter 1, and this is the importance of just taking a look. Uh, You know what? You and I might say, well, I wasn't there. I didn't see it. Okay, but let's take a look at uh, Romans chapter 1 and see, well, how can we know just how powerful God is? So we can compare this to Jesus to see if he's the son of God. Romans chapter 1, all right, and uh, let's take a look here at verse uh, 20. It says this, For since the creation of the world God's invisible qualities. How many guys have seen God? Literally seen God. Praise God, you didn't raise your hand. We'd have to lay hands on you. Right? Okay. No, right? Right now, He's invisible to us, but nonetheless real. Well, if I can't see it, it doesn't mean it's not real. How many guys heard that one? How many guys see the television waves right now flying through this sanctuary? How many guys are saying, I wish I had a TV, Pastor Billy? I'm about to fall asleep. No, don't you dare say that. I'm having a good time up here. Right? Right or how many of you guys see the radio waves right now flying through this way? Well, I can't see it. So TV and radios make believe you guys are brainwashed goobers. There's no such thing as TV and radio. How many of you guys see the uh, heat when you turn on the heat? How many of you guys see you know when you turn on the microwave? You see the microwaves? Well, you do if you throw in the aluminum foil. Trust me, believe me. No, <laughs> don't tell Brandy. She's gonna tell. No. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Right. Well, okay. Okay, but that's what he says. So how are you going to know God? If God's invisible, how are we going to know who he is, let alone he's real, let alone how powerful he is? Well, that's what we see here in this passage, right? He says here, verse 20, he says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal what? Power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what? What has been made so that men are without excuse. So you want to know that God's real and you want to know how powerful God is? All you got to do is look at what he's made. I don't have time to get into that. We dealt with 10 weeks on intelligent design, right? But let me just give you a couple of little teasers, okay? The DNA molecule is so complex, just the DNA molecule, that if all the code was typed out from just the DNA molecule, it would be enough pages to fill the Grand Canyon 40 times. That's pretty complex. That's powerful. The atom is so small that it would take the whole population of the planet 180 million years to count just the amount of atoms in a single cup of water, counting one per second. How many of you guys don't want to do that? I don't either. The cell, even the simplest cells are bristling with high-tech machinery. Okay, uh, No such system could arise by blind chance. The most advanced, automated, modern factory with its computers and robots, all coordinated on a precisely timed schedule, is less complex than the single workings of an inner cell. The most supposed simplest cell, the paramecium, is more complex than the space shuttle. Whoa, that's pretty intense. The brain, the brain is the most complex mechanism in the world. The average brain weighs about three pounds, contains 12 billion cells, each which are connected to 10,000 other brain cells, making 120 trillion connections. Scientists tell us the average person uses less than 10% of his brain's capability. And if that's true, then most people die with 10 to 11 billion brain cells still unused. Now, I won't go there for obvious reasons. Because we're getting along really nice. Except for you guys who made the wisecrack earlier. Hey, I know. We'll move on. Uh, the material world. No two snowflakes are alike. But did you also know that no two blades of grass are alike and are no two grains of sand? That's pretty wild. The animal world. I don't have time to get into that, and we'll finish up. Uh, the common flea. How many guys like fleas? How many guys flee when the fleas come? Please listen to this. He is capable of jumping 100 times as high as its own head. And see, we don't get that because we're a little bit taller than a flea. But listen, we're champion Olympic jumpers. To do as well as a flea proportionately, they would have to jump clear over the Washington Monument in one bound with 80 feet to spare. Now, how many guys would like to do that? How many guys realize that as soon as you made it up there, 80 feet high, that's the last time you do do that because gravity kicks in, and you wish you were a flea, right? It's, it's amazing. God is awesome. It's powerful. Now, I saw before, how many of you guys realize that the universe is kind of big? Really super big, right? Massively big, okay? Uh, if you could travel at the speed of light, it would take you eight and a half minutes just to reach the sun at the speed of light, which is 93 million miles away. And if you wanted to reach our nearest star, okay, it would take you four and a half years traveling at the speed of light. But if you want to make it across our galaxy, the Milky Way, it would take you 100,000 light years traveling at the speed of light. That's just our galaxy. And the universe is full of galaxies, so much so that we can't even name them. And God says, their scripture says, that God spoke everything into existence just like that. That's huge. That's massive. That's powerful. How many guys would say, whoever does that, that's some serious power? I like what one guy said he says now we're not able to travel at the speed of light he says and part of it is because as you travel at the speed of light mass increases in outward progression into infinity it just gets like that and I, he said and he says and that's why you should never let anybody ever say um that you're you're fat he says you just need to tell them you're traveling too fast <laughs> got a busy schedule moving on but anyway, that's right. In fact, one last thing, and we'll move on to show you the power of God. We talked about this before. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. And it talks about how God laid the foundations of the earth. Now, what's going on there in the Greek? It, the picture that's... I'll never forget Dr. Couch saying this in, in, in the Greek there. It literally is just God didn't just do all that. The, 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 it's just like he went... Huh, he flung it down. No big deal. Next. That's what the scripture says. God is powerful. It's too big. Our problems are too big for him. That's a good word. But here's the point in bringing that aspect of God up. God is powerful. So again, if Jesus truly is the son of God, if he's God, if he's fully God, then he not only has to be holy without sin, he has to be powerful, supernatural powerful. Well, what do you think is going on with the miracles? Why do you think the scripture repeatedly says and talks about so many miracles? What do you think he's demonstrating? Hello? I am not just the son of man. I am the son of God. This is God in the flesh. Because only God has the power to do this. We can't do this. And that's what we see here. His mother was a virgin when he was born. He changed water into wine. He healed a Roman official son. He healed a man had an evil spirit. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. Let's move on. Uh, He caused many fish to be caught... He healed a man with leprosy. He healed a man who was paralyzed. A man who had a disabled hand, he healed him. He healed a Roman officer's servant. He brought a, a dead man back to life. He calmed the stormy sea. He healed a man with many demons. He healed a woman with internal bleeding. He gave life to a girl who was dead. He healed two blind men. He healed a man who could not talk. He healed a man who was disabled. He fed 5,000 uh, people, uh, times that by at least three, because typically they just named the men. They didn't name the uh, women and children who were most likely there. So you got way more than that. He walked on the sea. He healed a girl with an evil spirit. He healed a deaf man. He fed another 4,000 again, times it by at least three. He uh, fed them. He healed a blind man at Bethsaida. He healed a man who had been born blind. He healed a boy with an evil spirit. He uh, caught a fish with a coin in his mouth. Told Peter where to go to pay his taxes. How many guys would love to do that? Wouldn't that be awesome? Yep. It's April 15th. Where are you going? I'm going fishing, Ron. Got to pay taxes. Wouldn't that be awesome? He healed a blind man with an evil spirit. He healed a woman with 18-year illness. He healed a man with a bad disease. He healed 10 men with leprosy. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He healed a blind man near Jericho. He healed another blind man. He caused a fig tree to dry up. He healed a, a, a cut ear. That's awesome. Have you read that account? That's amazing. Do you understand what's going on in that text? When they come to get Jesus and Peter takes out his sword and he chops off the guy's servant's ear, he chopped the ear off. And in real time, while well, it's probably going, you know, whatever that noise makes, right? It's really, Jesus bends down, picks up the ear, pops it on, and it's working like a charm. What? How many of you guys would be sitting there, just trying to go, you're freaking out, trying to, to pass out from the blood? Can you get a stitch in there? Think of the power of just that one. And it's working again. How many guys realize if that were you, you'd probably be so nervous to be upside down? Right? Or sticking out at a 45 degree angle and they make phone, Rose is Thanks, Jesus. Did it right? Wow, amazing. Uh, Healed a cut ear, he uh, was resurrected from the dead, and he caught again uh, a bunch of fish to be caught again. Okay. I like what one guy said. This. He said, Now think about this in our skeptical world today. If Jesus did these miracles today, do you realize how many people he would be in trouble with? Watch this. If Jesus were to do his ministry on earth today, here's who he'd be in trouble with. First of all, the FDA for turning water into wine without a license. The EPA for killing trees. The AMA for practicing medicine without a license. The Department of Health for asking people to open graves uh, and uh, for raising the dead. And for feeding 5,000 people. The NEA for teaching without a certificate. OSHA for walking on water without a life jacket. And flying in the air without uh, uh, an airplane. The SPCA for driving hogs into the sea. And the National Board of Psychiatrists for giving advice on how to live a guilt-free life. Right? Skeptics say that Jesus, not only, of course, with that, that's with humor, but in all seriousness, oh, there's no way that he is fully God. Excuse me? Only God could do what we just read. He didn't do it one time. He did it again and again and again, everywhere he went. Now, next page. Listen, that's just what's recorded for us. Listen to this amazing statement by John on page eighty-one. The Apostle John wrote, "Jesus did what? Many other miraculous signs. We don't. We're not even going to find those out until we get to heaven if He lets us know. Isn't? I mean, that's enough." He says, that's the tip of the iceberg. I love what he says here. Many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, uh, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus Christ is who? The son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Jesus' miracles, that's your blank there. Miracles demonstrate power over nature, power over evil, power over demons, power over sickness, power over disease, and power over death. Gee whiz, I'd say that he has to be god he is god i oh, always say okay well maybe that's his buddies once again like with the holiness factor they're going to kind of cover their tracks right as the skeptics would say because they want this religion thing to continue on so they're going to fudge things a little bit well what does enemies say did jesus really have supernatural power well let's take a look uh what we're accomplishing they asked here's the man here's his enemies. They said this, here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will, why? Believe in him. Why? Because man, he's walking, he's without sin. He never does anything wrong, just like God. And he has the power of God to do all these amazing things. They couldn't stop it. They couldn't deny it. Everybody knew it. And they said, in fact, we better just get rid of him. That's their only option. Because if he keeps this up, holy and power, everybody's going to turn to him. Isn't that sad? The evidence is right before you. The one in whom you need the most is right before you. And you want to kill him. Why does the Scripture say that they did that? One of the motives? They didn't want to give up their positions of of power and authority. Realizing that you if you don't have Jesus, you don't have nothing. He lost everything and what you could have. But that's just one. Even early Jewish, Roman, Islamic writers wrote about Jesus' ability to do miracles. So this is outside the Bible. Everybody, and this is early on, right? Okay, so what do they say? Rabbi Elisir, uh Ben-Herenes wrote about Jesus' quote, magic arts. Okay, magic arts, okay? Uh, meaning that, of course, it's supernatural, right? Now, that kind of brings up a whole other thing we don't have time to get into. We've talked about this before it kind of leans into the issue of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. How many you guys heard that one? Okay, Christian, whatever you do, don't commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Because if you commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, it cannot be forgiven, you doomed, you lost your salvation. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 12, read the context. What is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? And can a Christian even commit that, even if they wanted to? Which is a straw man argument. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, as defined in Matthew chapter 12, is equating the miracles of jesus not being done by the power of god but by the power of satan so how many guys right now as a born-again christian believe that jesus did all his miracles by the power of satan yeah it's called a straw man argument give me a break so number one no christian's ever going to do that number two can a christian even do that today if they wanted to no because jesus isn't here he has to be, according to the context, there at his first coming, which is already coming past, and he has to be performing these miracles for you to physically go up to him, physically see it, and then physically say to him, hey, you're doing this by the power of Satan. You can't do it. Now, granted, maybe it can be repeated. I'll give you maybe in the millennial kingdom when he does come back again, and maybe that. But right now, you can't even do this. How many people say this? Oh, if I see the Holy Spirit, you're reading it completely out of context. Okay. But anyway, I digress. But anyway, the Jewish Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious leaders wrote about Jesus practiced magic. Again, they're not talking about it like we understand, but they're admitting that well, there's something supernatural going on here. Right? And, uh, the Roman Emperor Julian, writing against Christianity, wrote this about Jesus. He, quote, healed, uh, disabled and blind people and caused demons to leave people. Uh, The Quran speaks of Jesus' ability to perform miracles, uh, written 600 years after Jesus, speaks about his virgin birth. Again, it's important to point out that the New Testament books were being circulated while eyewitnesses, is your next blank there, eyewitnesses are still living. Now, why is that important? Well, because guess what? If it wasn't true, hey, sorry, nice try, buddy. You lied. I was there. And that's what he says here. If these miracles did not really happen, someone could have easily said, I was there. I'm telling you, Jesus did not perform a miracle or that miracle, whatever he said. However, no eyewitness ever said this and no one, underline this twice, ever denied Jesus' power to do miracles. They may have said it came from Satan. They may have said, oh, it was magic arts, But everybody realized that, listen, this guy, whew, you can't, nothing on, you can't pin nothing on this guy. He's holy, friends and enemies alike. And the same thing when it comes to power, another attribute of God. This guy had power. Why? Because Jesus is really the Son of God. Right? Okay. Number three, the top page 82. Okay. If God became a human, we would expect this person to have a great influence. With your next blank there. Great influence on history. Why? I don't know about you, but I'm thinking that if God shows up in the room, it's a little bit more important uh, with all due respect than your employer or your best friend, with all due respect. If God shows up in the room, it's just a little bit more impacting than a politician, the president, dare I say, right? If God showed up in the room, it's a whole lot better than some movie star <gasps> or even the Pope. Yeah. Listen. God shows up. It's a life-changing event. How many guys can testify to that? When God showed up that day, you got saved. You've never been the same. Right? So that's the point. This is God. When you encounter God, it is a life-changing encounter. So that's the point. Let's put it to the test. Right? If Jesus really is the Son of God, then he cannot only has to be, he has to be holy like God and powerful like God, he's got to be able to change lives. Got to be a major life changing impact, right? That no man can do, only God can do. And that's what we see. Jesus has been the most influential, famous, important person in history for almost 20 centuries now. 2,000 years later, after his life on earth, he is the center of the largest religion in the world. Okay, I just don't really like that word. It's a relationship, but whatever. Uh, The church that he founded has become the largest institution in the history of the world. Today, approximately two billion people uh, call themselves his followers. He's looked upon as a prophet or an enlightened one in nearly every major world religion. Right? Right? Granted, they may not understand who he really is as in other religions and may have a false view of him or a not full view of him, like, again, like he's a good moral teacher, but even they admit that, wow, Jesus radically changed the planet when he showed up. Now, listen, you've got to put it in context. He showed up, and it didn't take very long. He wasn't here very long, but it was a lasting and still to this day lasting impact. How long did it take for you to get saved? Lasting impact. Listen to what this guy says. I love this quote. He says uh, Jesus, born in an obscure village, he was the child of a peasant woman. Growing up in another out of the way and disdained village, he worked in a carpenter shop until he was about 30. Then for three years, he was a preacher who both talked and listened. He helped people whenever he could. He, he never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never went to college. He never had a family of his own or owned a home. Uh, he never traveled over 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did any of these things that usually accompany greatness uh, and had no credentials but himself. Uh, while he was still a young man, the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through a mockery of a trial, after which he was executed along two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only people Of property he owned only because of a generous friend offering his own cemetery plot was there a place for him to be buried but 2,000 years have now come and gone and today he is the central figure of the human race the leader of the column of spiritual progress the ultimate example of love it is no exaggeration to say that all the armies that have ever marched all the navies that have ever sailed all the kings that have ever reigned all the congresses that have ever convened put together have not affected the life of man upon this earth as that one solitary life i.e. Jesus why? because he's God and when God shows up on the scene you can't help but be changed you don't get that I mean Chris is a cool guy Chris go ahead I'm going to hear it for you tonight you know what I'm saying and I'm going to give you a piece of gum that matches your shirt that tells you how much one in the spirit we are tonight as cool as it is to be around Chris sorry Chris it's not the same as God, right? Now, I don't laugh too much. You're supposed to be there for him and support him and help him. Say, oh, honey, you're still cool. you I'm weird, boy. You're right. Whatever. You hey, tapped him on the shoulder. All right, you get a piece of gum. I'm running out of gum, <laughs> right? God has a major impact because it's God. That's what I say all the time. I don't know about you guys, but I remember growing up in the Midwest, crying big alligator tears, lost as a goose, wishing hoping there was something more to life. And I remember out in the Midwest, without all this light pollution, staring up at the stars as the school's trying to brainwash me with evolution to lie. Crying, just wondering, hoping that there was more to life. Was there a God? There has to be somebody. And then I remember getting saved that day 22 years ago all by myself in the bedroom and crying out in bare bones faith, God, if you're real and if you really want this life, you can have it. And I knew specifically that wasn't enough to call upon the name of Jesus Christ and ask him to forgive me specifically my sins to come in this life bang! I tried virtually every stinking religion under the sun. I tried man-made techniques. I tried self-help. I tried secular psychology. Nothing could help me. The one encounter with Jesus Christ has changed me forever because he's God. And that's what our world needs. Napoleon says this, at this as we close, 83. He says this, I know men and I can tell you that Jesus Christ is what? No mere man. He's not just fully man, he's fully God. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne have, uh, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force, Jesus Christ founded his empire upon what? Love. And at this hour, millions of men and women would die for him. He has impacted the world unlike anybody else. We'll close with this. Historical facts are beyond dispute. He appeared on this earth of ours nearly 2,000 years ago. Anything in the way of earthly privilege or advantage was denied to him. He was born in a stable, brought up by a peasant couple in a cottage. He worked as a youth, as a young man at a carpenter's bench. He had no contact with any of the world's greatest cosmopolitan centers or any famous university or any renowned teacher. On the contrary, he lived his brief earthly life in an in-out-of-the-way corner of the world amongst a subject people in a small country commonly regarded as of no consequence. Oh, by the way, he started... Started his journey being what born in a stable, and yet he was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, as Philippians two says. And he humbled himself and took on the form of a man, became a servant even unto death. And he says this. He goes on. He says the, the only school he ever attended was a synagogue school at Nazareth. Quite possibly, the only textbook he ever studied was the Old Testament. He was without wealth or status, yet in spite of all these disadvantages and limitations, by virtue of the spirit that was in him, he uttered a wisdom which transcends in worth that of any world-renowned philosopher, and indeed of all philosophers combined. His message has proved itself fitted to the deepest needs of all humans, irrespective of all considerations of time, place, or nationality. His witness was so sublime, in other words, mind-blowing and powerful, that it has been the light of the world ever since. And view of the impact of his life upon the life of the world and the profound and far-reaching lasting effect which he has produced, there are few who would deny for a moment. Listen, he, Jesus Christ, is, quote, the greatest being who has ever trod our earth. Nobody on this planet has affected this planet, still continues to affect this planet, than Jesus Christ. Because that was the Son of God on the earth. The one and only Son of God on this earth. And in a very short time, amount of time has radically changed things forever and one day he's coming back he's coming back to get us and at the end of the seven year tribulation we come back with him he sets up his millennial kingdom we get to rule and reign with him he will have a headquarters in Jerusalem bring peace to the planet and we will be with Jesus in an amazing planet unlike this one Isn't that awesome? Jesus is the Son of God. Not just because it's a Christianese phrase, and I had to sign off on that in Tom's class, and he wasn't going to make me a member. It's so high-pressure, Tom. What are you doing? Right? No. It's because certainly the Bible says so, which we've already demonstrated, did come from God, so you might want to pay attention to it. But even logic and reason tells us so. Everybody who ever encountered Jesus... He is holy, He is supernaturally powerful, and I've never been the same since. That's just the tip of the Lord willing next time we're going to get into part two, even more reasons why we can know for sure Jesus really is the Son of God. Amen? Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall to give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize Uh, The the Ten Commandments, the the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. If we're being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's His standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow. So now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, Hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead. Okay. That's the same thing. uh, It's akin to the sin of murder. It's just, you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey folks, that's just five out of 10. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own, you still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what do we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey God, let me in. I'm I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step, to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus, so that we can now have a relationship with God, both here and now, and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him, and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, The gavel's been passed. The judge has said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty. Uh, You even admit you're guilty. And uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. God bless.